Okay, I think we are live. So, hello, hello. Welcome Hi. to <laughs> welcome to being fine again, Kapil. Well, yeah, hello to anyone watching, um, and hello to you too. I wasn't ignoring you, Kapil. Hi. <laughs> I'm okay being ignored. <laughs> you just said the F word already. We've only just started. <laughs> <laughs> it's so ingrained in us. <laughs> but I'll let you off because you're allowed to use it in that context. <laughs> well, I can still be frustrated, insecure, neurotic, and emotional at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you missed the true F word at the beginning there. You're being polite because it's the afternoon show. <laughs> so, Kapil Gupta, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here, Joe. Oh, it feels like um, you and I kind of like regularly feature in our Being Fine uh, sessions, but I think that's because we're both so passionate about the message. But no, thank you for being here. Um, yeah. Normally, we have our fortnightly calls take me on a Facebook live which are every other Wednesday the next one is next Wednesday at seven o'clock in the being fine Facebook group but today I wanted to get Kapil on his own um, I wanted to corner him <laughs> um, and get you talking about <laughs> no no pressure no pressure um, okay. so but you have you have uh, just had an incredible journey um, but first of all, I just need to congratulate you because you've just done a TED talk. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> oh, and I can say firsthand, because I was there, um, that you were amazing. I mean, I am slightly biased, uh, just a tad, but I think your, your talk was amazing. So look out, everyone, for Kapil's TED talk. It was TEDx Lambeth, um, and that will be out on YouTube soon. And so he nice. is amazing. Where's the, where, he's that way. He is amazing. <laughs> Don't say it too much, he gets embarrassed, but he was amazing. So um, congratulations, uh, because, you know, that, that must have been quite a monumental moment for you. Yeah, I mean, you know, TED, TED or TEDx platforms, they are just, you know, I've been a big fan of um, TED Talks for a long time. And uh, I've always like dreamt of being on that platform, and and uh, I think the 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 most pressure is about delivering something that's of value. You know, like the, it's such a um, the the outreach for TED platform is huge, and um, so I wanted to talk about something that's meaningful and that's. Um, hopefully will will have an impact you know that the idea you know ted is all about ideas worth sharing and i do genuinely believe that the idea that as men we have to integrate our um, sensitivity and our vulnerability and stop looking at these things as some kind of a burden or something that's wrong or something we have to hide I, I just feel that that's so last century, right? We, we've got to change that. And I think there's, like, there's lots of good work happening right now. Uh, I'm not sure if it's enough. I think we need a lot more um, because I think generally speaking, there most forums that I go to where we talk about men's work, where we talk about any kind of relating work, um, there's still a lot of um, misunderstanding around just connection to our feelings and emotions as men. And we live in this like formulaic world where it's like, oh, either once we get to a level of achievement or success, everything's going to be fine or uh, forcing our way through feelings and emotions. And that's, in my experience anyway, and the people I've worked with, that's a temporary solution. You know, long term, there's no other way but to integrate and allow those parts of us to flourish. Um, so I'm passionate about that because, you know, my journey has been around sort of integrating my own <laughs> emotions and vulnerability and sensibility, sensitivity. And, and uh, so I, I love talking about it. I love um, working with people on that very subject because I think we're all looking to find fulfillment. And I think fulfillment is really only possible if we integrate 
both our masculine and feminine uh, traits inside of us. Um, and that's that's really my passion. Mm. Yeah. yeah. There was a great opportunity, you know, to, to be able to go up there and to share some of my experiences and thoughts. It, it was amazing. And it, I'm really grateful to have, um, to have been there to, to sort of see it firsthand. Um, but yeah, I mean, just to let you know, I, I don't think I shared this with you yet, but the the person introducing all the TED speakers, um, so obviously he had, he had a natural banter introduction and then a thank you for that speaker, such and such. Um, after yours, he went on stage and I don't know if it will be recorded. He went on stage and he just literally went, uh, wow, um, that was just, just the most awesome speech um just epic i mean he's a young guy right <laughs> so it's quite funky but he was totally he just and the, and the energy in the room was was kind of really it was like everyone had just gone wow i'm really just gone back down to earth um mm -hmm. that's the only way i can explain it so that was that was the impact for 30 people that day so i hope that reaches it because you, you hit on something at the start of what you just said which was about the hiding thing the striving striving and then the hiding and then the pretending. Um, is that what it's all about? Is that why men keep all these emotions and feelings underneath it? Is it underneath, is that? I'm not sure how much of it is conscious. I think for me, definitely it wasn't. Um, it was, uh, I think, uh, it's a cumulative sort of experience that I think at some point in the past, we take on this idea that um, our feelings and emotions are not welcomed or, you know, it's either a group of men being macho uh, where we hear things like, oh, he's just such a wuss because he shows emotions or he's sensitive. Or like in a relationship, you would hear things like, oh, if, if you are with a woman who's very emotional and you are not seen as uh, wearing the pants, you know, like holding the relationship together, then you are not man enough. So you have to be seen as this macho guy who's got everything in control. Mm -hmm. um, or things like, you know, at work, um, if you show any kind of intensity of emotions, then it's like, seen as you're someone who's difficult to deal with you know um so i i think it's a uh it's a cultural understanding um and you know i've been reading a lot on emotional intelligence and um one of the things that that they talk about like again around conditioning for boys and men is that i think when we are young men are treated in a different way to or boys are treated in a different way to girls in that you know girls are okay to show emotions and sensitivity but if boys show that and i'm generalizing obviously um it's not necessarily true everywhere but but the common piece around uh you know is 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 that oh if if boys show emotion then it's like it's not a good thing, um, and and certainly my uh, I had that like a, a lot of my experience that I'm talking about is my own sort of living through these kind of stories. Like I remember very clearly. I don't know a specific instance, but I very clearly remember creating this idea that um, as men you don't show emotions or. As men, if you are vulnerable, then that's a weakness. Or as men, um, like even the idea of vulnerability or sensitivity is, is like there's something weak about it. Mm -hmm. and, and it's not that, you know, suddenly if you're sensitive, then uh, 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 you're a different kind of a man, <laughs> you know? It's, it's just that emotions and men seem to you put you're put in a box that oh if you are an emotional guy or if you're a sensitive guy then here's the box and we label you and this is this is what you're treated as and then i think what happens over a period of time is that we lose 
connection to who we really are, like our authentic self, because we are now pretending to be someone or carving a certain personality to fit in the world's idea of a man, what a man should be like. And that's what I see pretty much everywhere. It's like, if you are doing X, Y, and Z, then you are man enough. And if you're not, then you're not man enough. And I think that is the root of it because that then creates this idea of, um, I am not good enough, which then underneath that is like, oh, I'm not worthy. And I'm not worthy of things. I'm not worthy of love. And that becomes like the root self-belief. And then everything is in life is just a projection of that. And then we are just like running around uh, trying to achieve things or acquire things because we believe that that will give us the worth, the self-worth. You know, so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy then, isn't it? It's just a continuous cycle. It's right. it's not, not feeling valued, not feeling like you're able to express, keeping in emotions and feelings so that you won't be judged and then yeah. coming back to not feeling fulfilled and, and connected. And then it's just a continuous day in, day out. Because a couple of our authors do mention this, don't they? And I know you've, you've spoken to them, um, that one of our authors was was criticized and brought into the manager's office for being too emotional at work. Mm. Um, and he said, you've got to stop being so emotional. It's just, it's not good enough. Yeah. Um, like, so you can't, they, sorry, go on. So, so if you, if you can't, you know, if, if you, so how can you, and it, it, it all, it's almost like, um, there's so many segments to this that all kind of accumulate to this, this terrible falseness, isn't it? It's being simplified. Um, but if you can't, if you can't be connected to your full self, then you can't ever really be show up as you. Um, and that yeah. that is, I mean, I, just, I to me, I just think, oh, so we've not moved on, have we, from medieval times when, as a man, you were meant to be kind of either fighting or out catching boar. <laughs> you know, it's, it's true in a way, isn't it? It's like if 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 we're still believing that is men's role and only men's role, then. And actually, we haven't evolved, have we? Which I, I would argue we haven't really, to be honest, in some ways. Um, so, but but the, it's, it's, it's always it's always about always starts from self, and that's part of your work, isn't it? This starts from self, because um, I know a lot of your work yeah. is about changing how we believe ourself to be and present and in the world. So, what what does that look like? How does how do you work with men on that? Well, I think it, what I have come to realize. Uh, is they're kind of like four key areas, which is now I've created a framework around it. And this is how the journey that I have gone through. I think one part is uh, our identity work, which is um, like how we came to define who we are and how we live, which is, you know, um, say for instance, most people don't even understand boundaries. Like 90% of my work with people is about boundaries. Mm. You know, like when it comes to connection, connecting with each other, connecting in our relationships at work, we just don't understand our boundaries. Um, and then the other part of it is what I call victim consciousness. So living in, in our life where is life happening for us or life happening to us? And when we live in this idea that life is happening to us, then we fall into, you call it victim triangle or drama triangle, as it's called. Um, and then there's this like, uh, how, what kind of belief system have we got? Like, how do we define our self-worth? How do we define our inner value? Uh, do we have a, a basic idea that we belong or we fear abandonment? And how do we... Uh, what is our relationship with self-care and self-love? So those are kind of like our belief system. And the fourth thing in, in that identity is our cultural conditioning. What are the things that we've learned growing up through our family, the society, our friend circle, our extended family? What ideas have we grown up with? Um, so when you combine those four things, that is how we kind of define our identity. 
So a deep excavation of our identity work is crucial to create, I think, a, a solid foundation in who we are. So that's one area. The second part for me is uh, things like introspection and um, knowing our mind-body connection, like congruence. So for me, I was someone who was very much in a rational, logical world. Um, and I was pretty much most of my time in my head. I was not connected to my body. And if in you know eight years ago, if someone even said anything about embodiment, I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I had no idea. So I find that um, just connecting with our body and understanding things like how our intuition works, how our feelings have a, a, a language that nobody understands. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm being cliched here, but men usually, usually are very rational and logical in that way. And women are more embodied and connected. So in that way, I say that women are bilingual in that way because women have learned the masculine language as well as their expert in feminine language, which is the body-based language. While men mostly haven't done the work to connect with our feelings. So we are just like, you know, uh, logical, rational, direct language based. So connecting to my body had allowed me to learn this feeling based language, because ultimately, if you look at it as humans, we are always connected. Even when we don't speak a word, there's mm -hmm. always a uh, some kind of communication happening at a feeling level, at an energetic level. And if you can tap into that uh, embodied space, then a whole new world opens up. You know, so so that is the second part that I I work with, which is kind of my specialist area, masculine feminine dynamics. I just love that. Then the third piece I I have learned is whether you call it discipline, practices, rituals, but something that you do on a daily basis mm. to um, it's like going to the gym. Like if you if you go to the gym once in a month versus going to the gym every day, you will know the difference. So for our mind, body, and spirit, what are our practices that we do every day to keep on top of things? Because there's there are peak experiences when we go into like workshops, we go into learn some new things, and we have a peak experience where we learn something about ourselves, and we're like, oh, I am. This is possible for me. I can see a version of myself that I wasn't able to see yesterday. And we think that just by going to those workshops, we will, we will achieve that place. But no, no, no. What you've got to then do is to build the practices, build the discipline to become the person that you see in these peak experiences. Mm -hmm. So that is the third piece for me. And the fourth is it, living life as play, like an infinite game. It, and which is there's there's like rules of infinite play that that I teach and and what I have learned, which is about not living any part of life on a win lose basis, but we play the game because we just want to play the game. And when I say game, as in life, life as an infinite game, and everything in that just becomes uh, research. Everything, your work, money, relationship, everything becomes research where we're just continuously learning and playing and getting better than ourselves. And then you just like play. So those four kind of areas are what I have sort of in my experience are put together that when you do those things, that's where like you can you can go towards mastery. You know, like live a life which is in flow um, and and that's applicable everywhere. I think men, women, um, mm. you know, the journey might look slightly different because of our cultural conditioning is different, um, you know, and, and that's where I think a lot of the time I differentiate between the masculine and feminine because like certain men are more feminine than masculine and certain women are more masculine than feminine. 
So masculine and feminine are more traits that we all have is just sometimes on that scale of masculine and feminine, I seem to be more on the masculine side and I want to develop my feminine side. And that's how I want to be a whole human being. Does that like, that's, that's kind of where I, 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 that's how I work with people to be honest. Yeah. And the whole energy is, is an interesting, that, that is, that's energy is everything. Um, and initially I must do it when I heard you define masculine and feminine traits, my, my hackles went up a little bit because I was like, <laughs> hold on a minute, you know, I, I, I just, it's all just energy. But yeah. I guess what you do, it allows you, you're not defining every woman as having being a, just a solely, what you're saying is that actually we are naturally design created, whichever way you want to think of it, to have, to be slightly better at certain things on one small level, aren't we? But then by embracing each each other's, recognizing where we sit on the, on within that and then recognizing each other's, because you did a lovely interview with a super cool lady. Um, you were in bed with her, but you weren't really. Oh, um, Korean. <laughs> Yes. in bed with queen such a cool interview um and you talked a lot then about how we can actually just really sort of complement and supplement and just really play with just trying a little bit um which is really important isn't it and because you were talking a lot about relationships then about dating and about marriage and partnerships um where actually it's really important to just just create awareness of it is where it comes from isn't it Totally. And I think there's a lot of confusion and we, we, we get really tight about this idea of like masculine equals men and feminine equals women. And I find that it's, it's, a, it's a way more complex world than that. The way I have made sense of it mostly is um, that there is a conversation happening at a sociopolitical level. You know, when we go out to work, when we go out in our society, then the masculine feminine doesn't even exist. It's all about gender and the idea that all genders are equal, right? And in that way, I think in that context, masculine feminine is taken as masculine equals men and feminine equals women. But ultimately it's about all genders being equal, right? Or equal opportunity. And then I think the what I am fascinated by is the underworld, which is the which is the the dimension of relationships and connection, which is uh, I believe that we all have masculine and feminine traits in us. However, and I'm I'm not sure if it's a biological thing or if it's just a condition thing. I don't know. I think this is my like the search goes on in that way. I do feel there are certain probably biological differences as well when it comes to feminine masculine, but mostly I believe that we've just been conditioned through centuries as what is a masculine trait or conditioned masculine is and what is a feminine trait and what conditioned feminine is. There's a huge amount of that. Um, and when I say that, what I, by that, what I mean is men or boys are always related with color blue. And that's how like the, the mindset that we grow with is like, oh, you look at blue, it's boy, it's men. And the mindset that girls grow up with is, is associated with pink. And all of that mindset comes with certain ideas of how we have to show up in life. However, I think at, at some level, when it comes to relationships and connection, I believe that we all have the masculine and feminine traits. However, we are conditioned to be more in masculine or more in feminine, depending on what our parents told us, what kind of mm -hmm. environment we grew up in, what kind of uh, I don't know traumas we've gone through, what kind of learnings we've had, what kind of difficulties we've had in our life, and all of those kind of nice things. So when I look at myself, I just think about it in a way that I want to I want to cultivate all of my traits, you know. If I want to be in my full potential and full self-expression on this planet in my living life, then I want to see 
how far I can go both in my masculine traits and in my feminine traits. And I have no shame, you know, I have no shame around my sensitivity or my vulnerability or my creativity, which is like the feminine traits, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, so, so for me, when I learned these things, I have no issues around, oh, I should be better at this or better at this. It's like, I want to be better at both. <laughs> yeah, I want more masculine and more feminine in me. While this, this weird conversation around, oh no, men need more masculine, less feminine, or women need more feminine and less masculine. It's like, I, I don't get that. It's like, let's have both, have more yeah. masculine, more feminine, and then have the choice in each condition, what traits you want to use. That makes sense to me, you know? Um, and that's how I look at it, the, the whole masculine feminine debate. But I guess you, you've mentioned the word a few times now. There's a reason why Brené Brown's talk on vulnerability is one of the most popular on TED Talks. Yeah. Um, because, you know, it, 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 and she's written a book on it and uh, she's done phenomenally well. And she's, you know, become global based on that one simple message of we all must be more vulnerable. And that is men and women, obviously, and, and everyone on this planet. So um, obviously for men, that is, that can be more of a challenge when you're when like you know like you you had that training from a very very early age which sadly is what basically what all of us are dealing with basically is retraining ourselves yeah. out of that inner child and valuing it that inner child but retraining into the the human we truly are with our own values so let's just um if people um and it's great people are watching so thank you for watching today and or listening if you're listening um live too but uh there there is a lot that happened to you and sadly this is a common um story to some level not as not not your story obviously but um that unfortunately that training happened very young for you when you were basically told to behave a certain way weren't you um and tell us everyone tell everyone a little bit about that yeah i think um yeah, like when I when I think of vulnerability, I just think of this word empathy, you know, like I um and empathy is just really about feeling other people's feeling state. You know, like if you are sad and I'm connected to you, I can feel your sadness in my body. And it doesn't even have to be that I'm sitting in front of you or like if I'm talking to someone or if I'm connected with someone, I can I can feel their sadness across, you know, across the world, across co continents. You can feel people, right? Like it, it's yeah. it, and and that's what I think empathy is about. And I think vulnerability is all about that, in my experience. You know, in that um, being able to say, oh, like. I am feeling sad and not, not worrying about if I am feeling sad that somehow uh, I am less than mm. or somehow I am not worthy in some ways. Or, you know, as men, one of the big things is performance. Men, uh, one of the conditioned masculine trait is we've somehow picked up this idea that we're just supposed to know everything. So for a man to, when questioned, to say, I don't know, it just like, is, it doesn't exist. Like I still have this thing with Luca, my wife, where she would ask something and I have no idea, but I'll, I'm trying, I'm gonna try and figure out some kind of answer for her. And now i nowadays i often think about it as like oh actually i don't know the answer <laughs> i can do some research and find out but the honest answer is that i don't know and she goes oh thank god <laughs> <laughs> that's great <laughs> because usually you usually when i'm not conscious of it my automatic reaction is oh she wants to know something let me figure it out let me fix this thing and, and that comes from this idea that when someone is in discomfort, we can feel their discomfort, right? And we don't want to feel that discomfort in our body 
So we want to fix it. We want to fix it straight away so that we don't have to feel or that discomfort can go away really quickly. And that's where the whole fixing thing comes in for men because we're just not used to sitting in the discomfort of emotions. Wow, that's a good so, one. So what we want to do is like as soon as you are, we, we find our women in any kind of trouble that we think mm. is trouble, we mm. just want to fix it because we just don't know how to handle it any other way. <laughs> well, that's fascinating. So you're not actually, you're trying to fix it, not because it feels like you need to be productive, but simply because you can't, well, it probably is that as well, but because you can't cope with that, the feeling yeah. of that, that distress or, yeah. wow, that's, that makes complete and utter sense to me. Yeah. Um, and and part of it is also we yeah. define our self-worth based on fixing things. Yes. So if we yeah. fix things, then we're like, oh, I've done a good job. Uh, yeah. Then my self-worth goes up. Yeah. So there's, there's probably a couple of things. But one of the big things definitely is uh, the discomfort of seeing someone in discomfort is difficult for a person who's not used to intense feelings, which most men are. <laughs> and, and intense is the word there, isn't there? Because, you know, it, if you're just being in your head, um, then by intense feelings don't come from here. They come right. from here. And, exactly. and, the, and, the, and the power, the magnetism, and the, the energy created from intense sorrow, intense joy even, because it, it goes both ways. And we're talking on both a bit ways. of a sad level right now. And obviously, you know, in my head, I've got your, your own story in my head, but it works both ways, isn't it? Because oh, say, for, say, for example, um, I listen to the radio a lot. And one thing that I cannot believe, and it happens to men and women, but mostly men, is when that person picks up the phone and they win the 10,000 jackpot, the 10,000 pound jackpot, they go, oh, great. Yeah, excellent, thanks. And I will listen to it, what? What's wrong with you? Jump up and down, scream at least once, you know, deafen me with yeah. your excitement. But it's so it definitely is um, a cultural thing. It's a, it's. Yeah. You know, it's certainly in certain societies, it's a British thing, for sure. Um, and uh, and obviously that's, sadly, you know, it does work to both ends, is that we can't, um, yeah, yeah, which is it, which is tragic, isn't it? Because, you know, if, if we can't feel pure excitement, joy, or, you know, or recognize when we're feeling pure sorrow and grief, um, you know, and this is a personal journey for me, and we won't go into it now, but there's a very big reason why I'm creating this book. And it's actually taken me three months of a lot of meditation mm. to really dig out why I'm making this book, why I'm bringing this book together. Um, mm. And actually, when I realized it the other day, it was a shocker. It was a shocker because I... I've buried all those things. Well, this is the Kapil show. It's, not, no, it, it's, it's, it's for another day, really, but it... I've been brought up with the fine word. You know, my my dad was he was all about the fine thing, being fine. You know, he he had a nervous breakdown, got shingles, and nearly died when um, him and my mum split up. Um, it devastated him. But I remember him saying, you know, he was in a new flat, saying, "Joe, it'll be fine." And he was I didn't realize at the time, but he was almost dying. It'll be fine, Joe. Yeah. Um, and then sadly, at the other end of his life, um, just just before the last time I saw him was three months before he died he had slight heart palpitations and I asked him to get it checked up because he lived in G Gambia came back mm. to see my daughters that had just been born and uh and I said get checked out get checked out I'm fine Joe I'm fine and that was the last time I saw him yeah. and three months later he had a sudden heart failure in Gambia and, got, and that was the end of his life um yeah. But so that, you know, but that hadn't even occurred to me. So we do bury, bury all this stuff away, don't we? And we, we cover it all up, you know, cushion it in. And because and, uh, and, uh, someone, keep, I keep being asked, why are you doing this book, Joe? Why are you getting all these men together to talk about it? And I guess I'm trying to help my dad in a way because, you know, yeah. I wish he could be in the book. But anyway, um, he can't, but I might mention the story. Um, but let's come on to language because language is really important, isn't it? And it's really it's it's pivotal and the, really the purpose for this book because we do use language 
um, and we let language cover up what's really going on for us. And also, I'd like to talk, I'd like you to explain just to sort of before we finish more about this feeling because and helping giving your best tips for people, especially men that aren't used to using their body as thermometers, as emotional thermometers to work out what's really going on. So there you go. I'm going to throw that at you. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Um, feelings. Before I go there, I want to say, like, thank you for the, you know, talking about your, why you're creating the book and your dad. And I, the thought that I had in my mind is like, that's why I think the masculine and feminine piece is so com complicated. And it is so much about the conditioning. And that conditioning is not always men equals masculine, women equals feminine. And I think it totally mm -hmm. depends on, I think, what kind of environment we grow up in. And, um, and that's what kind of makes it more complicated than just talking about it as men equals masculine and feminine, women equals feminine. Um, feelings. <laughs> uh, I don't know where to start. I feel, well, I think yeah, I get for that. me, sorry, go on. No, no, you want to give me no, some no. tips? No, no, I just because I'm just trying to think of the viewers and, and you know, because people will be tuning into this show with the book, that there'll be something in it that hopefully appeals to them that, that you know, are, aren't able like you have learned to connect with their true inner feelings of what is happening in their gut, in their intuitive self. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of I was kind of digging and probing for you to uh, just give your best kind of advice on you know what is all that about and how can people how can people really start to tune into that for me it was like magic that's the honest thing i can say like i was so far disconnected from my feelings and trying to figure things out that when i uh when i experienced that when I'm in my body and when I actually can feel my body and what's happening in my body, automatically I'm also feeling other people. There was this really interesting time. I was in New York with a friend and we were just walking in, you know, in the subway and I was feeling fine, fine, but like I was feeling good and like really, really open and, and, and suddenly I wanted to throw up. And this thought came to me, it's like, why, why do I feel like I want to throw up? I was literally okay two seconds ago. And I asked him, it's like, are you okay? Are, are you feeling like you want to throw up? It's like, yeah, I'm feeling like I want to throw up. It's like, whoa, I was feeling him. I was feeling his, what he was feeling in his body, I was feeling in mine, you know? And that was such a, aha moment for me that oh i can feel what's happening for other like obviously we can but we don't consciously think of it mm. but we do you know all our not just our close you know partners and and family but we're walking around and we're all kind of like transmitters of these feelings and part of what happens is that when we open our system when we are actually allowing ourselves to feed other people, we don't know how to stop it, you know? That's one of the big things I see, you know, there's some Facebook groups around empaths and, and people think that empathy is torturous because when you open your system, you just don't know how to stop feeling the world. And it just feels like you have the entire world's problems in your body. So, the thing that I had to learn was then, okay, then I need to understand my boundaries. Go whole circle, we go back to boundaries where I can feel emotions and at the same time I can create energetic boundaries so that I don't take all those feelings. So it's a, it doesn't happen in a day. It took me a good while to 
sort of go into this world, actually get lost inside of the world, and then make sense of it and learn the tools to master it. However, when I was able to, it literally felt like magic. Like mm -hmm. I would be standing in front of someone and I, could, I can actually feel what's happening for them. I didn't have to strategize. I didn't have to look for formulas. I didn't have to look for a NLP strategy or look for cues in their body languages. I can simply just be open and feel what's happening for the other person and be empathetic to them, you know? And, and that is magic, literally magic for me. Like coming from the world where I'm coming from, from like IT, computer science background, completely in my head, being able to do that opens up this entire new world. And it's like, it's a new playground. And it's so rich, it's so varied, it's such mysterious world of human connection that you can never get bored of it. That's so brilliant. like, I think that's what's available to everyone. Mm. And I think women probably are already there, like they know this world and they're like, you're probably sitting there thinking, Kapil, <laughs> you finally got it. <laughs> Right, it's, but it's it that world is available to everyone, and I think that's what re, I, I I really want to sort of bring across, and that 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 um, connection really is the thing that we all need, mm. um, and and for connection we have to connect with our body, and we have to do all of those other things that I talked about in the framework. Uh, however, if you do the work, the results on the other side are just magical. I love it. I love it. I love it. it it's yeah, it's so true that it's the connection, but it's with self first, isn't it? It has to start with self, um, and and with yeah. the, with the with what's going on and recognizing, because you know if if you spent so long not not being aware of what your ha is happening with your body on a on a, yeah. a complete level rather than just what's going on up here um then it it's it's like you say it's, it's something to learn isn't it and, and what happened how did you learn so reiki for me yes i guess i was a little bit intuitive i, I had a narcissistic mother so i learned to be intuitive when i was younger and um, mm. but when i when i did my reiki training that's what really brought me in to re recognize energy, my energy, other people's energy, read it, heal with it as well. You can, we can heal more in ourselves and others. But what, what did you do? What exactly did you do that, that enabled you to open you up to this magic, as you call it? My training was through sexuality, um, sexuality work. So I, I got trained in this practice, a partnered um, practice which is which combines sexuality and mindfulness together it's called orgasmic meditation and the the it was a really amazing practice because what it did was you know sexual energy is the most potent energy in on this planet and it's also something that we have the least amount of skill with right so when yep. through this practice and training um what I was able to do was to able to bring my focus and attention in this really volatile energetic field. And while I was doing that, I was connected to another human being. So I was able to learn how to feel into the feeling states of my partner, you know? So, and that's what this practice does. It's almost like, you know, I was talking about emotional intelligence before and one of the things that they talk about in emotional intelligence is this idea of mutual empathy it's like where both people are able to feel into the feeling states of each other and you develop mutual empathy in sexuality in sexual energy sexual energy is the most potent place to develop that uh, mutual empathy and that's why i think when we have deep intimacy uh we feel so connected to other human beings you know, um, so so that's how I 
got trained. Um, it was like, you know, we used to call it like, it's like meditating on crack <laughs> because when you're, <laughs> when you're meditating, it's like you're in a, in, in a quiet space, there's no distraction. And even that is hard, but when you're meditating in a sexual energetic field, then it's like, it's so uh, volatile to, to learn how to cultivate your attention inside of that is even more difficult, like way, way more difficult. But when, but, but because you're doing it in a sexuality field, it's, there's some pleasure in there. So there's that reward center that makes it easier for you to concentrate. <laughs> um, does that answer your question? It does. Yeah, it does. And actually, I didn't know that. I didn't know that's where you learned it. So part of me is like, wow, okay, I need to, I have, I need to interview you for another 46 minutes about that. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, no, that's, I think, well, it's got to come from somewhere. And that totally makes sense, actually. Uh, I mean, uh, so Sting, you know, um, the right. incredible guitarist. Yeah. So he yeah. talks about that in his biography. Sorry, go on. Sorry, I just want to say one more thing about that. I think what you said was like the self connection to self. And I find that uh, it's a combination of connection to self and connection to others because um, we do need a feedback loop. Mm. We do need a feed feedback loop to um, tell us of our progress or where on the map we are. You know, if if we're trying to go to A to B and there's a map, then we need feedback loop to tell us where we are on the map. And I think that's where I am not a big fan of just go and do the work on yourself and then come back to the world and say, I'm fixed. <laughs> uh, I'm a big fan of um, do the work, interact with the world, and you will learn what what what's working, what's not working. You go back on the mat, do the work, and do those things simultaneously. And that will be most effective way of bringing change in a in a sustainable way. So I just wanted to say that before you go, yeah. we talk about Sting. <laughs> well, just that he definitely he puts his course in tantric sex uh, down to the fact that he, that's when he really started understanding being human. Um, so right. that was all. Yeah. So, so yeah, exactly. And like you, you, you did mention practices. Um, and I know you've got a significant practice, haven't you, that you do every morning because we do, we, if we're retraining to do anything to get better at it, you need to keep going at it, don't you? And, um, and yeah. that does take, um, and do you, do you go with the first seven minutes of your day is the most, are the most important? I, I really like that, that, you know, no. that, that very first part of your day. <laughs> No, well, I, mean, I feel like uh, I think everyone have their own way. For me, uh, my practices have been like, I think the only reason I still feel sane and actually feel amazing is because of my morning practice. So when the lockdown started, like I've had a regular practice anyway, but when the lockdown started, I set up a group where uh, we do a one hour morning practice every day. And when I say morning practice, we do writing. So journaling or some other kind of like writing practices to empty your mind. Then we do 20 minutes of meditation, sitting meditation practice. And then we do some kind of like spiritual reading and then have a brief conversation about it. And then we connect with each other a little bit and set our intention for the day and finish it. It, it has been, and we, part of that, we also write things like desires and gratitudes for the, for the day that has gone. Um, and, and I have to say that that has been the most important thing in my life over the last sort of seven months or so. And that mm -hmm. is the single most important thing that has kept me sane throughout this period of lockdown. Because... I, I, I was able to cultivate a sense of just like this calm in my in my system um, mm -hmm. in that, yeah, a lot of things are happening in my body, but I was, you know, um, 
just like where am I in self-love and self-care and taking care of my mind, body, and spirit. That was just really amazing. And I do recommend people, whatever kind of practices you have, but do have some kind of regular practices for your mind, for your body, and for your for your soul. Um, and, and if you do have that, you will see a profound change in no time, really. Yeah, I, I, I second that. It was, I started my practices um, about four years ago mm. when I was in complete overwhelm and um, it's made a pivotal difference to my mental health and physical health, the whole lot. Absolutely. Yeah, mm. yeah, definitely. And it, yeah, calm, being calm and a level of peace, um, uh, yeah, for sure. Fantastic. So that is part of your work, isn't it? You create men's groups. You've got men's groups that you yeah. um, offer support in. And people can find out about that at nibbana.life um, yeah. on face Facebook and on your website too. Nibbana, N-I-B-A-N-A. -A, is that right? Yeah. N-I-B-A-N-A dot life. So that's our website. That's our Facebook page. Uh, I have a couple of different Facebook groups. Uh, but you can find info on that Facebook page and also that's our Instagram as well, nibbana.life. Fantastic. And obviously we'd love you, if you haven't already, to join the Being Fine Facebook group because not only do we have amazing chats like this today with uh, brilliant authors like Pill, we have every other week um, one author interviews another author um, about the topic of wellness, um, vulnerability and so much more so tune into that as well. Um, the book will be out in, in November. I was going to say October. No, that ain't going to happen now. Um, <laughs> we'll be out in November. I was hoping to get, get it kind of ready for a pre-sale for Kapil's TED Talk, um, which was last week, but it didn't quite happen. But we will get the book out to, uh, to you as soon as possible on Kindle and obviously paperback too. Because actually people like to feel the book, don't they? I like to feel this book. It oh, yes. How Even did you get a copy of that? It's a fake one. No, I'm, I'm faking it till I make it clear. This is my old book. And this, this is, yeah, it's a fake one that you can even see. Look. I like the, I like the cover. So I can't hold it up that high. There you go. I've just given away my trade secret. Um, but being fine, the other F word, I'm going to add the other F word menus. Hmm. The other F word menus, because this book is primarily for men. Um, and thank you, Mark Stickley, for watching this. Mark and I go way back. He was in the police with me. So he's got a fair few stories to tell about being fine. Mark, you should be in this book, actually, by the way. Give me a call. Um, he's been through one hell of a journey, and he should be in this book. So, um, yeah, fantastic, as always, Kapil, talking to you. And congratulations again on your TEDx talk for Lambeth. Um, it was incredible. It was the best of the day. I'm sorry, but I'm just going to keep saying that because it's true. <laughs> so well done. Uh, connect with Kapil at nibbana.life. Um, connect with us at Being Fine. The book will be out soon. Uh, thank you for watching or listening today. Take care. Thanks, Joe. Take care. Thanks, Kapil. Bye.